Well, thank you for your good singing. Thank you, Ken, for another wonderful message and insight into 1 John. If you have your Bibles, let's not go to Hosea yet. I know you're itching to go there because you woke up this morning and said, nothing is going to make me happier than reading the book of Hosea. Uh, But prior to doing that, come with me, please, to uh, the book of Romans chapter 9. And while we're doing that, if you do not have one of our handouts for the week, if you've just joined us, welcome. And uh, Sam, who is now wearing a Biola t-shirt, I sort of feel a little left out now, Ken, you know. All <laughs> yeah, I'll back for another degree. Yeah. <laughs> As someone joked with me once, I have more degrees than a thermometer, but I would be happy to uh, go back to Biola. And I'm sure for just uh, $25.99, Ken will sell, sell me a t-shirt this afternoon. But, uh, but Sam will bring you a handout if you haven't one. I'm not sure they want to see me without a shirt right now, but maybe later, bro. That's good. Try not to nauseate your crowd before you speak. Okay, so (laughs) Romans chapter 9. Now, And while you're turning there, let me just tell you, as as I know I've said to some in this crowd before, the Bible is its own best interpreter. What I mean by that, of course, is that There may appear at times when you read a verse or a set of verses, it it may be difficult to understand. But I want us to be careful that we also don't go to the other extreme of thinking that, as it was taught in Christendom at large, the Bible is so complicated, you need uh, really only a certain subset of clergy would be able to explain the Bible to you. We mentioned the other day, the (coughs) the Spirit of God lives within us, and He is the one... Who instructs us? And there's no gift of understanding Scripture. Yes, there are gifts to be able to teach it to others and perhaps in certain contexts explain it to others, but it's the Spirit of God that teaches you. And although additional biblical training can be inordinately helpful, as we've seen and enjoyed this week, it really is that Spirit of God that illuminates your mind. And in doing so, always encourage people to see the greater context of the verses that they're reading, which is one of the focuses of our week, isn't it? That's why I've chosen a different book for every day. Not that we can by any means cover all of the detail in those books, but to give you a sense that you want to see that verse or set of verses or chapter or book in the context of that book and others around it. So when the New Testament quotes something from the Old Testament, It behooves us to try and understand what was said in the Old Testament. And as you know, there are hundreds of references in the New Testament of Old Testament verses. And they're not there for cute filler. They're not there to just uh, give the Old Testament justification. They're there to help illustrate issues, to explain issues, to even fulfill issues that were not fully understood in the Old Testament. We've been saying that a lot this week, haven't we? Sometimes the prophets, they didn't quite get all that was to come. They knew that there was a future. They knew a Messiah would come. They knew that ultimately a Messiah would reign. But they weren't able to connect all the dots because they hadn't seen all of those dots. So it behooves you when an Old Testament quote is made to make sure that you go back and understand it. Now, we can't do that, of course, today. Romans 9 to 11, chapters 9, 10, 11 of the book of Romans, is the most concentrated area in the New Testament of Old Testament quote. For purpose and for reason. The book of Romans is rather complicated, but yet beautiful and simple in other ways, depending how we look at it. 
And the author is making a very cogent, detailed, at times legal argument. I had the privilege of attending a men's conference, let's say more than 10 years ago, uh, about 30 years ago, actually, where um, we were studying in depth the book of Romans. One or two of you in the crowd were there. And it was very interesting. A brother who is a lawyer by practice was, actually, was, was assigned parts of chapter 2 and chapter 3 to help us understand, even from a legal perspective, the way the Lord was making the case that you are, and we are, and all of us are sinners. But here in Romans 9-11, to the author is making a very complicated case, demonstrating to us that on the one hand, God is not finished with Israel, but yet they failed as their missionary uh, service to bring the word of the gospel to the world. And so the Lord was raising up the church. And so he's toggling and in very beautifully balanced ways, demonstrating to us that, yes, we have this divine privilege now as the church, but don't get too high-minded, you church people, because you are just grafted in. We are yet sons and daughters of Abraham, are we not? And just like that, that might be grafted in from an a, 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 a agricultural phenomenon, we can be cast off as well. And yet, the Lord has a future plan for Israel. And when we step back and see the big picture, people get into really heated debates about Calvinism and uh, how much the Lord uh, chooses and what role he has. I like to look at it from the big picture and see that here the Apostle Paul didn't. In a sense, he wrestled over the issue because it's it's described here. But when you come to the end of this description, we won't have time to read it. When you come to the end of chapter 11, he doesn't say, well, a lot of churches are going to fight over this for the next couple thousand years. He bursts into one of the most beautiful expressions of love and worship. Who hath known the mind of the Lord and who hath been his counselor? Who came to him and said, you know, Lord, it'd be a good idea to try and save that Joe McHale character. Do you think someone had to counsel God to do that? Don't ever shortchange the love of God to save his people. Please be careful. But in that context... He is describing what happens here, because he's going to quote Hosea. That's why we're reading it. He is quoting this notion that he is so interested in saving people that he will take the testimony, as we heard from Brother Dave last night, he'll take the testimony of someone who's come to trust the Lord, what could be described as a vessel of honor, and say, look what God has done in my life. And that shines as a bright light to people around. And how many of us have come to the Lord because we've seen other people go on for the Lord. It's marvelous. But more than that, God is so interested in saving people that he'll even take the opposite of what we heard last night. He'll take someone who has absolutely rejected the Lord, has hardened their heart to God, and will make that as an opportunity for someone else to be saved. Not that God takes pleasure in the hardening of someone's heart. But let's remember what God does. God is in the business of making bad things good, isn't he? He's in the business 
of turning even the rejection of himself, and that's ultimately the story of the cross of Jesus Christ, that he took the greatest expression of our rejection of him and has turned it into our eternal blessing. And they're described as vessels of wrath. So for context here, Romans chapter 9, verse 21, Hath not the potter power over the clay, notice this, of the same lump, we could discuss lumps later, to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath, to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of the glory, of his glory, on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. So he will even take the fact that Pharaoh hardened his heart. You know, Scripture tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but not till he hardened it himself. And hardened it, and hardened it, and hardened it. It was about the fifth time that he hardened it. The Lord said, okay, fine. You want to be hard? I'll harden it even more for you. Why? Because I'm interested in saving someone called Rahab. As we're going to see in a few moments, we talk about the story of Hosea. If you made a list, if you were God, thank God you're not. But if you were God, (laughs) and you made a list of who should I hurry up and go save? Let me suggest that Rahab might not have been the top of your list. So I know Joe McHale shouldn't have been at the top of his list. He saved me nonetheless. He even took the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Because when we read the story, they said they heard about what the Lord had done unto Pharaoh. The plagues were a method of God to save people. God, and I say it carefully, and I say it respectfully, but I say it nonetheless, God will use absolutely everything in his power to save people. And as we've witnessed this week, he's got power, (laughs) doesn't he? Verse 24, Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, For those who might think that God's kind of a narrow God and he's just kind of interested in this little group of people, he's just interested in those Jews. No, no, no. The Gentiles also. And as I look out here, there may be a few exceptions, uh, but you're just a bunch of Gentiles yourself, aren't you? Alien to the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenant of promise. Praise God. His love is not limited. As he saith also in, enter stage left, Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there, sh- they, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Amen to that? Amen, indeed. Those who are not my people. What did he mean by that? Well, come back with me to the book of Hosea. We have been looking at the major prophets this week, and we are going to switch now into, if you will, the so-called minor prophets. But as I mentioned before, they're not minor. It's the same God, (laughs) same big God, uh, just that their books tend to be a bit shorter. Let's read a couple of portions of this book that I have entitled Amazing Grace in Action. 
amazing grace in action. The word of the Lord, verse 1 of chapter 1, that came unto Hosea the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel. So you remember how we said that most of the prophets we've looked at so far focused their ministry in Judah. His ministry is actually now focused in Israel. We're going back a little bit in time now because the Assyrian captivity hasn't happened yet. We're in the mid-700s B.C. here. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, which means God will scatter, by the way, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Her name means unpitied. Thank you. Uh, But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them uh, by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. And if I can just make a quick editorial comment here. Thank you for the water. I guess you didn't want a dry message. I will keep my uh, I will keep my day job. Don't worry. Um, This verse by itself could be a really big homework assignment that I won't give you. But um, salvation, as we're going to see in a moment, which is the name, really what Hosea means. Hosea is very similar to the word Joshua. If there was one simple lesson that the Lord was trying to teach his people over centuries was that salvation came through him, not through the gods of the Canaanites and not through their own strength and all the things that are listed here that we saw in this verse by sword, by horses, by horsemen. But it wasn't just that their initial, if you will, salvation came that way. Their success, their Uh, their victories would not come. It's not as if God saves you and says, all right, now I saved you. Now, will you go and do your spiritual thing on your own? I've equipped you. Now go do it by yourself. No. Hannah had to learn this message. In fact, God gave this lesson to Hannah before anybody else. It's interesting how often in Scripture, women are given the insight to the truth Before the men catch on. I'm not just saying that to get brownie points with the women here today. It's true. And the lesson that she learned. That she had to teach the priest Eli. Because Eli couldn't figure it out. Eli thought she was drunk. I mean it's not not very cool. When you're the priest and you can't tell the difference. Between the spirit of the Lord. And the spirit of a six pack. Right? I said, no, no, my Lord, I've not been drinking. She said, what a condemnation it was of Eli that this woman had insight. And so she prayed that night. Beautiful prayer. 
where she was given that insight that the horn of the Lord would be exalted, that their victory would come, that they would have a king. She was the first one to understand that they would have a king because she had a close relationship with the Lord and she came to realize that it wasn't by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's why David won his victory. Even six days, I haven't quoted my favorite phrase in the whole Bible yet. It's about time to do it. Remember what happened when David saw Goliath? He wasn't worried about the size of Goliath because he knew his God was bigger. He knew his victory came from the Lord. And, and he's standing there. Everybody's shaking in their boots. Saul is weeping like a baby in his tent. And what does David say? My favorite line. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? And they're like, Shh, David, dude, like, <laughs> he might hear you. He, he's the big one right there, right? I mean, he can eat you for breakfast. And David was literally like, let me at him, let me at him. Because David's God was bigger. Thank God I can't add an ounce to my salvation. He paid it all. He paid it all. All right, we need to move on. Um, the end of verse 7. And of verse 8. Now, when she had weaned Lo Ruhama, she conceived and bare a son. So this is child number three now. Then said, God, call his name Lo Ami, which means not my people. Hence the verses we read together. For you not my people, and I will not be your God. I mean, this is pretty strong words coming from the Lord. Yet the number of children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place that it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there shall it be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Sound familiar? That's, what, of course, what we just read together. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So he's clearly giving us a time sequence saying, in the short term, I'm not going to be your people. I have to abandon you. But not fully. Because one day you will be my people and you'll be united. I mean, politically speaking, in one respect, this, is, this union has never really happened. Spiritually speaking, it will indeed one day happen. Go down to chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Accor from a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the days that she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, for thou shalt no more call me Baal. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, of the fowls of heaven, with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the, the, the sword and the battle out of the earth, and I will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. And I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, for thou shalt know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall, uh, and they shall hear the earth, and the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow, unto her unto me, uh, sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that hath not obtained mercy. And I will say to them, that were not my people, thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. 
Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I brought her to me for fifteen, bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, for an homer of barley and an half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So I will be also for thee. For the children of Israel hath, uh, shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. We'll come back to explain the story of a moment of how Hosea is buying back, if you will, his wife. And again, we see the short term, he's bringing her back home. He's loving her with an unconditional love. And the Lord says, this is a picture of what's going to happen in the long term, that one day Israel will come back to its God and they will be united and, and, and uh, uh, with him forever. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, when the preacher reads verses, right, we always put emphasis in certain ways or ways. And I can read these next few verses in two different ways. And I want you to think as we read this, is this genuine? Yes or no. I will let you be the judge. Is this genuine? Yes or no. Come and let us return unto the Lord for he hath torn. He will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And in the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come to us as the rain, the latter and former rain upon the earth. Now, there are elements here that are of value, but I am going to strongly suggest that this is not genuine repentance. The people are in a sinful way, and Hosea will describe in a moment, is making it very clear that if they continue in their sinful way, they're going to captivity. That's why Hosea and actually Jeremiah have a lot in common. Jeremiah predicted the Babylonian captivity for Judah. Hosea is warning them of the Assyrian captivity for Israel. just happened to be a couple hundred years earlier. And so the people were starting to understand it. There weren't as many false prophets around, because there weren't prophets, period, around. And so they say, well, let's, let's return to the Lord. And in three days, he's going to fix everything. The key missing feature here, of course, is the genuine repentance of their sin. There's no mention of their sin. There's no sense of, we've done wrong, we failed you, Lord. It's, it's more like, okay, let's go back to the Lord and he's going to fix everything. Now, God's in the business of fixing quickly. I get that. But they wanted three days, the whole thing to be just rubbed out. And there are people who sometimes come to Christ who just think Christ is going to fix everything. I just think I remember once sitting down with a couple uh, when I was doing gospel series up in northern Ontario. And, and the wife said something interesting. She said, you know, I just I want straight walls in my life. She, she, it was that, that was her analogy that she was describing, that so many things in her life had been going back and forth and unpredictable. She just wanted a predictable life. She wasn't really interested in, in Christ, per se. She really wasn't willing to confess her sin. She just saw a lot of Christians leaving a, leading a good life, and she figured, if I have that, I just want the, the, the good life part of it. 
We need to be careful when we present the gospel to people. If we're going to come to Christ, we need to come empty-handed. We need to come recognizing our sin. As we described last night, repentance is an absolute agreement with God about the severity of our sin. We desperately need help. You need to, to, to come recognizing that you are desperately po- desperate in poverty and needing the infusion of God. But I would suggest here, that's not what happened. Their repentance came, but not till later. Chapter 8, verse 1. Set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against the law. Israel shall cry unto me, My God, we know thee. Israel hath cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. The Lord is saying that I am going to use your enemies to discipline you as time moves on. Chapter 9, verse 1. Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy is other people. For thou hast gone whoring from thy God. Thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. The floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. He's warning them. You think everything's going to be good? You're going to be out of your own land that I've given you, and you're going to be eating the things you don't want to eat in Assyria. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 1. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. Their heart is divided. Now they shall be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. For now they shall say, we have no king because we feared not the Lord. What then should a king do to us? They have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springeth up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. And lastly, go to the very last chapter, uh, Hosea 14. O Israel, verse 1, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord, say unto him, take away all iniquity. See, that's what repentance is about. It confesses the iniquity. Remember we described the three definitions of Hebrew words for sin last night? We, we noted iniquity was the one that I want to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it. And receive us graciously. So we will render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will ye say any more to, to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew upon uh, the dew unto Israel, for he shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall, branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. Remember we talked about Bible geography the other day. Wish we had time to talk about all these things, but you can look them up on your own. They that dwell under his shadow, remnants here or, or, or connection here to Psalm 91, under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. Who is wise? He shall understand these things prudent and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the just shall walk in them. But the transgressors shall fail therein. So there really is a positive ending to the book of Hosea, looking to the return of the Lord. Well, 
let's give you a, a little bit more to think about here with Hosea. As we read at the start of the book, the book is very interesting in that it starts where the Lord is asking Hosea to marry Gomer, a woman of whoredom. Now, there's different opinions as to what this might mean. Some have suggested maybe this is just an illustration or a parable-like thing. I, I don't think that really fits with the context of what's described here with children being born and so on. Some have said that she was unfaithful to him only after they were married. And some say she was unfaithful from the very start. And we could debate that all day and I won't. The point being this, of course, that the Lord is trying to give us an illustration, a picture. That he is not just, as some might see him, a distant, cold God that wants to rain down judgment on sin. But that he is like a man who loves a woman who's longing to win her to himself. And despite her unfaithfulness to him, the Lord says, I want you to love her. I want you to buy her back. And, and we've been seeing it this week, haven't we? How many times has Israel been unfaithful, if you will, to the Lord? Going after other gods, rejecting his word, doing whatever they want to do. Reminds us of ourselves, doesn't it? And it's beautiful, a beautiful picture, a challenging one, but a beautiful picture to see this man buying her back, rescuing her from her whoredom that he might love her. And they have these three children whom the Lord asked um, to, to give specific names that speak of Israel's fate as we've discussing. God will scatter unpitied and not my people. I mean, wow. We have lots of little babies here. Redonkulously cute. I didn't hear any of them named Jezreel, Lo Ruhama, or Loami, right? Not, not giving anybody ideas. <laughs> I'm just saying. That, that's not normally what you'd name your children. But the Lord was demonstrating the fate of the nation of Israel as there had to be that period of judgment. Sometimes we might think that love means just pushing off anything that's bad, just, just forgetting it all, leaving the bad stuff behind. No, don't address it. Just sweep it under the carpet. It's all good. You talk to a lot of people. That's what they sort of feel. Oh yeah, I've done some bad things here and there, but you know what? God's a God of love. As we heard, God is love, but love is not God. And so he deals with the sin effectively. And this book is yet another book, as we've seen every step along the way, where God, on the one hand, very clearly, and this is why I think the Lord, uh, uh, even though Ken and I didn't really conspire in advance, Ken asked what I was going to cover. We didn't try to match our messages together, but our mass messages are very, I think, well paired together, that the Lord is demonstrating to us the severity of sin and its consequences, but at the same time, his tremendous love towards us. Marvelous. A lot of actually connections we could make between Hosea and 1 John. And so the authors I mentioned is Hosea, similar to, to Joshua. Uh, we've learned this principle of salvation, that salvation doesn't come by the sword. It doesn't come by might. And that's the problem. When we saw people who, that's, what they, that's how they approach him. Remember we talked about Saul the other day. The problem with Saul was all he was used to was winning. When you're the big kid on the block, right? Everything goes your way when you're the big kid on the block. When you're the bully, that's how you gain victory. What's the problem with being the bully? A bigger kid moves in. So why do you think the Lord introduced Goliath? He's kind of making a point. 
making a big point? No, but come on. I mean, wasn't that the point of Goliath? If Saul, Saul was all about bigness, even when he was choosing his men, right? It's kind of like when two people, two, uh, when a group of kids get together or a phys ed class and, and two captains are chosen, then they, they get to pick who's on their volleyball team, right? Saul chose all the big, strong guys for his team. Uh, you can take the smaller ones. Oh, and by the way, if, if you see us in trouble, you'll come help us, right? I mean, Saul is the definition of insecurity. Because he refused to put his confidence and trust in the Lord. Even at the end of his life, he went to a witch at Endor instead of really seeking out the Lord's counsel. So when you're the big kid on the block, and if that's what victory is all about, then God says, all right, you want big, Saul? I'll show you big. And this gargantuan mass of a man shows up. It's no wonder Saul was afraid. The Lord was teaching us a lesson. It's not our bigness. It's not our strength. Salvation is of the Lord. As I mentioned, he was a prophet to Israel. Um, and he spoke, uh, obviously, both on the long term, uh, uh, both in the short term and the long term, especially about the Assyrian invasion. So there are, as I've listed here, eight lessons that I'd like us to learn from this book. Number one. Sin is serious. Remember, we, we've said this all the way along, haven't we? Remember the five overarching themes of all these major prophets. God is holy. We are sinful. Sin has to be judged. A Messiah will come to redeem us. And number five, God has a future for his people under the reign of that Messiah. And those five themes pervade every book that we've looked at this week. But what I see here in Hosea is, yes, the severity of sin, but also not just because it's inherently bad, but it hurts the Lord. He's, how do I say, humanized it here. I, I, I think your DNA comment, Ken, was very accurate, by the way. You know, it's marvelous. He, God manifests in the flesh. You know, for we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The Lord Jesus knows, yes, entirely distinct of sin, but he knows the human condition. He has physically experienced it. So instead of the Lord just saying, I am so angry at you that you've searched out all these other gods, he gives us this picture of a man who's heartbroken when his wife is doing this. So it hurts the Lord when we sin. Lesson number two, repentance has to be genuine. That repentance that we saw in chapter six. Mm. Okay, Lord, can you fix everything? Good. That's not the way we speak to the Lord when it comes to our sin. We have to name it. We have to deal with it. It's interesting how many um, uh, Ken made the comment the other day that literally every major character in the scripture has gone through struggles. I would add to that that it seems that nearly every single character in whom we have obviously some information about in the scripture, some people are just mentioned by name, but those uh, who've had experience there was a, a period or at times a few periods in their life when they were absolutely alone with the Lord. And those alone times with God are what, what set their, their feet straight. People like Jacob. You know, he's going to meet his brother. 
and he brings his wives and everything else to sort of protect him, and he sends them all in front. You brave man, Jacob. <laughs> right? He'd sent gifts, and it was like these layers of protection. And he's right at the back, and it says, and Jacob was left alone. As long as the Lord says, I've been waiting over 20 years to get alone with you. It's about time. And again, the Lord didn't just send an angel. I suggest he sent himself and wrestled with him. And went back over 20 years to ask him the same question that his father asked him. What is your name? Because last time he lied and said he was Esau. And he confessed he was Jacob. And immediately the Lord changed his name. It's about time this sin got dealt with, Jacob. Maybe you need to get alone with God today. What is it that's holding you back? What sin in your life is challenging you and affecting your work and ministry for God? Yosemite's a pretty big park. I know tons of people walk through here during the day, but you can find an alone spot, can't you? Uh, Number three, God's love is independent of time. It's marvelous. How we see this pervasive love of God. It's just, it, it really, you feel in the whole book, every time you read about the sin and its consequences, it's almost the Lord says, let me bathe it with a reminder that I love you and that I care for you and I have a future for you. God can use enemies to discipline his people with limits, of course, but he does. And we saw that. He warned them. So they're going to come in like an eagle. You're going to be carted off. You're going to eat foods I don't want you to eat and foods you don't want to eat. Because you'll be taken into captivity. And again, it reminds us of the sovereignty of God. That he can even use these pagan nations to bring spiritual interest back into the hearts of his people. God's mercy is greater than our sin. Isn't that a beautiful thought? We start piling up our sins. We were talking about how serious sin is the other day and how one sin can destroy the whole universe. Imagine just piling them up. Try to visually capture in your mind this insanely massive mountain of our sin. Well, His grace is greater. He carried every one of them on the cross and paid every one in full. And no matter how awful you might think your sin is, His grace is indeed greater. Genuine forgiveness is possible. He can genuinely obliterate it. It isn't just psychoanalyzing it away. It isn't just therapy sessioning, lightening it. This deals with the sin question. Because as we've heard this week, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. He has the power to genuinely forgive. Israel, currently without a royal and priestly family, will be restored one day. Remember, they said, what, what do we do? We don't have a king. We don't have... Now, some of the p- pictures we've seen this week uh, of the presence of the Lord coming up over the camp and they don't even notice it. Makes me think of the church of Laodicea, where the Lord's knocking from outside the door. Could that ever be said of us? God forbid that the Lord is here hovering over us in the valley of Yosemite saying, hello, hello, I'm here. And we're so busy doing our own thing, we don't even notice. And so he goes away. But one day that will be restored. And lastly, we've said it so many times, but let me say it one more time. God is love. We have this beautiful, overwhelming sense of love throughout the book. It's moving, isn't it? It's touching to see how much the Lord loves his people. Walk out with that thought today, would you? 
God loves you. As we've heard this week, love isn't a sentiment. It isn't a warm, gushy statement. We all love the warm, gushy stuff and the Hallmark card stuff. I'm all into that. I love that. But when my Bible says that God loves me, it's more than he had an emotion towards me. It's that he gave himself for me. He's given himself for you. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful. Thankful every day for the beauty of our surroundings. But for, for the reality that we not only bask in this gorgeous sun, we bask in the sun. We bask in his mercy and his tremendous forgiveness of our sins. Father, in the story of Hosea, help us to understand better the love of God for us. That it has no limit, it has no bound. Help us to serve him in, be, in better and greater ways today and the days and years to come until we're taken to glory. In his name we pray. Amen.